Hello, friends, and welcome to the Now and Zen podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Goo Goo Sleep Company and by Dream Drive. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. This episode I speak with Eric Dignazio, a 14-year Japan hospitality executive. Eric has had an interesting and non-traditional hospitality career in Japan, starting with Intercontinental Hotels and later with Accor Hotels, where he was the representative director for seven years. We discuss his early Japan influences, which include Lake Biwa, Mississippi paddle boats, and Sega games from his uncle. Last year, Eric launched his own business, a consulting and strategy-focused company for international hospitality industry projects. This was my first time ever meeting with Eric, and we soon discovered many mutual coincidences in our Japan backstories, and it turns out he's already planning the exact thing I suggest with my free, unsolicited business idea. This episode was a lot of fun. Eric has great market insight and some unique stories. An Italian-American hospitality professional in Japan. This is Now in Zen with Eric Dignazio. Eric Dignazio. Okay, I I tried to pronounce your name based on the katakana. Thank you. Because there's a... Yeah, yeah, that's great. (laughs) It's it's easy in Japan because when somebody gives you your business card, you just look at the back. It's it's, it's phonetically uh, pronounced out. In Japanese phonetically, it's not spelled Dignazio. No, it's Degunejio. Degunejio. Yeah. Degunejio, which... Pulls it out a little bit longer than it should be. <laughs> yeah, and how do you say it in Italian? Dignazio. Dignazio. Nice, that sounds much better. So the grandfather was Silvio Frederico Dignazio. Not that I speak any Italian, so that's uh, that's why I'm probably murdering the Italian. Okay, you just speak Italian with your hands. Well, I'm definitely an Italian speaker <laughs> with my hands. That's what my grandfather always told me. Eric Dignazio, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's a pleasure. My discussions on my podcast, I don't do it usually in a linear fashion. Absolutely, that's fine. But you're somebody I've never met before. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to go back to the beginning a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. And I did a little bit of research on you. Thank you. It seems your first interest in Japan started when you were in university. Yeah, no, I think that's maybe what's probably available online. Um, the real one is actually my, my uncle uh, worked for DuPont. And yeah. so when I was just a young, a young kid, he was traveling. He was head of Asia for DuPont 30 years ago now, I guess. And he spent time in, in Tokyo and in Taipei. And so when I was young, he was bringing back, you know, the Sega. What was the game system at that point? He was bringing back all these cool toys. Yeah. He specifically talked a lot, uh, highly about Japan. Mm-hmm. And so then when I was in university, I had the opportunity to, to come across. That was really... How old were you when your uncle was bringing you these presents? Oh, I was, was Nintendo age, so I was probably 10-ish. Yeah, okay. like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Seeing all this, this great stuff coming yeah. back from Tokyo. My story is exactly Excellent. the same. Excellent. My uncle, when I was about 10 years old, lived in Japan. Okay. He was studying at Doshisha University in yeah. Kyoto, yeah. and he brought back Hanshi 
Asian tigers, baseball <laughs> caps, nice. the train magazines, and all these. So my, I'm a little bit older than you, so there was no Sega. Just a little bit. There was there, no not... Sega back then. I don't think there were any video games back then. Maybe. I think one time he brought back a little handheld pachinko game okay. or something. That was okay. probably the most technically advanced as hand, handheld games. Something that we didn't have in the States and seeing that and it was pretty impressive. And then the fact that he, you know, he, I looked up to him as well as a businessman and it was something yeah. that I was interested in. And so, Did he speak Japanese? You know, I don't think he did or he never led on to it. Never talked about that very much. And then by chance, when I was in university, I saw that there was this great opportunity for a work-study program here. And so that's really my first intro to Japan. Where? So in, in Shiga Prefecture, mm -hmm. uh, and this would have been in 2000, 1999 and 2000. Uh, and so it was a, a study abroad relationship, uh, sister city relationship between my university, Michigan State, and the, the prefecture of Shiga uh, because of the Great Lakes and Biwako. Worked on a, um, a Mississippi paddle wheel boat called the Michigan Boat. And our job was essentially just to welcome Japanese uh, guests as waiters or as, uh, as bartenders and serving them. And that was three days a week and then a school for another three days a week. Did you speak Japanese then? Or you were learning to speak Japanese? Once we got accepted to the program, we had like a three-week intensive course, but we never, uh, yeah, no, no, none. I was watashi no onamaiwa. I was about yeah. this, this level. Where's the bathroom? I could say that, I think. I think the guests or the customers that would go on something like a Mississippi paddle boat yeah. in the middle of Shiwako, yeah. <laughs> they probably don't want the foreigners there to speak really, really no, fluent Japanese. No, they kind of no. like that foreign feeling to the whole experience, right? And it was the full experience. We had a, uh, an English-speaking band upstairs, and so there was you know, three cruises a day, and we'd welcome the guests at the beginning and then serve them throughout the cruise. They'd eat their lunch and then go up and, and watch the American band up top. Nice. Uh, and then we take pictures with them and talk to them in English. And so it's Dixie definitely Land? very Dixielandy, very Dixielandy. <laughs> <laughs> you started your hotel career in Japan with Intercontinental Hotels. Then you were with Acker Hotels Japan for 10 years and as the representative director for seven of those years. You opened 11 hotels during your tenure, so I believe you can speak with authority about the hospitality industry in Japan. My question, does Japan have the best level of service and hospitality in the world? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the easy answer is yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the attention to detail and, and the courtesy that you experience at uh, a five-star restaurant or a five-star hotel and, or even walking into a convenience store, I think, is kind of un, unparalleled in the world. So. Yeah. What could the rest of the world learn from Japanese hospitality? Foreign companies could learn um, the attention to sort of staff training, to making sure that staff understand, uh, you know, what's their purpose and how they can, what's the way, how to best engage with their guests. I think that's something that's pretty important. Important. Can you teach hospitality? You know, I think it's a good question. I, I think you need to have in your uh, DNA mm -hmm. a level of acceptance towards that that skill set. So I think you can obviously teach somebody how to do a manual process. All right. And they can follow the, the, the A to Z rules of that process, which is something that also makes Japanese hospitality quite spectacular um, because they're able to follow the process consistently. Well, that's but, one of the knocks on Japanese hospitality is that sometimes... It's a little bit checklist hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Agree. No, I agree. Yeah. And so I think taking it from your question before, it's the good side of hospitality here is the consistency and the courtesy. Yes. I think I called it courtesy. Uh, so I think there's a huge courtesy factor in, in Japan. But is that the same way that uh, a foreigner might expect to receive hospitality if it's outside of Japan? Perhaps not. Hmm, that's interesting. So do different nationalities have different service and hospitality expectations? I definitely think so. Yeah, absolutely. I think as, uh, you know, working for in my previous career of Japanese company to a JV, a joint venture company of Japanese and British or American, 
and then to a French company most recently, seeing it from different uh, sort of perspectives on what they think is the best way to deliver hospitality. I think each culture and each country definitely has a different expectation for hospitality. Absolutely. What do Japanese, what is the Japanese expectation of hospitality in Japan? I think the main thing is that everything's taken care of. So if I'm going to spend, uh, you know, my, my dime at this restaurant or at this hotel, I think there's a level of omakase. Yeah, so they want to makaseru. They want to uh, give up sort of their decision making and, yeah. and be able to let the uh, amazing sushi chef who's been training for 70 years yep. or uh, the restaurant to take care of them. Nice. Uh, and, and give them what they should, what they deserve. Omakase. Omakase. Yeah. I've never heard that phrase in reference to Japanese hospitality, but it's true. So there is a omakase course in almost all nice restaurants, but the guest being a little bit on uh, autopilot or cruise control, you just take care of me, you know, that's that's omakase. And I think there's times where foreign guests would also enjoy that. But I think more, you know, traditionally, I think hospitality overseas would be more about my way. Mm -hmm. So if you take like a ryokan, Japanese ryokan, for example, one of the big issues that tends to come up when foreigners stay there is that they don't want to fit into the mold of the different, you know, food services has to be at 6.30, 7.30, 8.30. Whereas the ryokan is saying, no, no, these are the best times for you to eat. And, you know, we're planning for all of our guests uh, and we're going to bring you the best food. So you just let us take care of you. Uh, Whereas foreigners are like, no, no, I'm spending this much money. I would rather have it my way. Right. uh, As opposed to omakase or makasering to the other person. That's a good insight. Your choice is six. 6.30 6.30 or 7. And that's it. Right? That's you don't, it. Yeah. Like, well, wait a minute. I want to take the bath first. And I, yeah. I want to eat at 8.30 tonight. Yeah. Eh, not an Sorry, option. we don't have that. It doesn't <laughs> communicate. It doesn't translate. We don't have that here. That's cool. So, I mean, I, I do feel like that's that's probably the biggest difference when we talk about omotenashi, omotenashi versus hospitality. Those, yes. Those two, those two words that are usually pegged as exact equals, but I think are very different. Yeah. Um, that's my next question. Do you like the word omotenashi? Yeah, I think if you understand uh, what we're talking about now, that it's the omotenashi concept of omokase, I think it is a good word. Like, I think it's a great word. But if you just directly translate that to a foreigner and say, this is the same as hospitality, I think there's a big gap in their expectation. And so then, you know, you're setting up maybe then for a a failure in that sense. They're not going to, they're going to expect something completely different, like hospitality in their own country. And they'll come and say, oh, this is the best place for omotenashi. But actually, you're letting go of your control in that situation. Sure. Control, that's a good reference too, because Western hospitality, I think, is based on empowerment. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have a lot of that in Japan. Your Japanese is very, very good. Been here for a few few years. Yeah. What's the Japanese word for empowerment? Empowerment. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Japanese word for empowerment. I don't know. What is it? I I probably know it if you tell it to me. Jeez. Don't feel bad. There isn't one. Okay, there you go. You know, I've, that's interesting. I've never thought... There's no word for empowerment in Japanese. Yeah, the closest word, I think, ah. if you look it up in the dictionary, is jiko sekinin. Oh, yeah, jiko sekinin. Okay. But that's not really not what empowerment thing. is. Yeah. And so... Interesting. I think that closest translation would if, is if you took the Japanese word kikubari. Okay, yep. And married that with jiko sekinin. Okay, okay. Those two concepts... Give you the funky of... Would, of uh, yeah, would okay. give you the, the funky, the atmosphere of yep. what empowerment embodies, Interesting, I think. interesting. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I've ever... Because, I mean, you think of it, I guess, then in makaseru, that would be like another way to say it, depending on the situation, because mm-hmm. you let them deal with it. So in a work situation, you say, I'll let you, I'll let you do with this, but it's not yep. really empowerment. No, it's definitely not. Interesting. You have kind of a non-traditional hotel industry career yeah, yep, in that you sure. didn't start young at an entry level 
You didn't go to a hospitality school. No, none, of that. none of that. Most of the hotel GMs that I know, their whole career was hotels. Yep. They started as, as a busboy or you know carrying luggage Absolutely. or they were an F&B or something like that. And then eventually through the years, uh, they became the general manager. Yep. But your story is completely different. How did you go from this guy who was giving out the times for the Dixieland band to becoming the general manager of a world-famous French hotel chain. That's a, <laughs> that's a great question. 20 years in the making, I think, uh, and a lot of hard work in between, maybe. But no, I mean, it was just by by uh, by a bit of chance, by a bit of luck, and by a bit of skill, I would say, to, to begin with. I had the opportunity. I mean, I got the... When I came back to Japan and I started working, first, maybe first hospitality, and that was with Plan Du C. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a traditional Japanese company that does uh, restaurants and hotels. And so my background, I think, uh, during my, my college years and with my grandfather, I had a bit right. of this. Uh, and my mission at that time, they tasked me with opening their first operations overseas. And so I was the first gaijin they hired into that company. And it was quite an amazing yeah. experience for me. And they sent me, I was, well, first I spent a year traveling around to all of their operations in Japan and doing the same similar type of style that I did with my grandfather, working from the ground up, uh, understanding every sort of position in their in their, um, in their network. And then they sent myself and two other Japanese guys to New York for about a year and a half to open up two restaurants for them. You know, with that, I had the chance to... Hey, speaking of hospitality... Very good timing. Kuki yonderne. Hi, mo giri giri de... Yeah, so I think with that, I had the chance to really have an in-depth experience from a Japanese perspective about hospitality and what was happening in Japan in restaurants and hotels at that time. And then I came back, and with that, uh, I had the opportunity to meet with IHG. Yeah. And it was just the time that they were signing the... Uh, they just signed, actually, two years prior to that, signed the JV with a and Hotels. And so right. we, we were rebranding all of the a and Hotels as uh, Crown Plaza or as an Intercon. Or, um, and just through the process of doing that, I mean, I think where I... Didn't have. I had the operational experience, but I didn't follow the traditional path of a, a, a GM with yep. got air quotes going on here, sure. <laughs> with a GM in air quotes, uh, where I went to a hospitality school uh, and I was a, a you know bellboy and then yep. grew up through F and B or grew up through uh, sales and marketing or whatever it was. So, well, I think some hospitality people they just gravitate towards it, mm. as you mentioned earlier, being in your DNA, and you can envision yeah. great service because you've probably experienced it. So if you can take what you've experienced or what you've felt or what you've seen at a young age, mm. it's pretty easy to, without instructions or without training, treat others as, as if you want to be treated. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But that's really funny about your first job at Plan Du C because I had, a, again, another quinky dink here. Yeah. When I got my first job in the hospitality industry, although it was the publishing side. Yep. I was the first foreigner also hired. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you know the uh, that position. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't really... They knew that they wanted to hire a foreigner, maybe because it was they thought it, there would be some kind of good influence there, mm-hmm. or maybe even a disruptive influence there. But they really didn't know what, what to, to do, do with, with me. Yeah. They literally asked me, "What do you want to do?" Mm. Did, your time at Plan Du C. Did they 
peg you for something specific or they kind of want you to figure out how you could help them out? I think it was a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely had that phase where there wasn't a specific job description. I came in and the, I was the international division manager, I think is my title. So I was a division one of my own. Um, <laughs> the only international in the international division as a manager. Right. Uh, but I knew they, they had this mission, very clear mission from their founder that they were going to go overseas. Yep. Uh, they wanted to open up a, a restaurant. They wanted to open up an office overseas. And I think they had that kind of that forward, you know, they had that vision, the big vision out there, but they didn't know how to, to maybe to go after it. So I, I think they hired me in a, a bit of a leap of faith to say, yeah. we need to bring in, we'll know we're yeah. going to have to have some uh, international understanding. Yeah. Not a lot of English speakers in the, in the company at that time. And so it was an interesting, I mean, that was my, you know, a couple of years into Japan experience. So I learned a lot, from, not only just from being a part of their business, but also in Japanese as well. Sure. I don't think they had a really clear plan of how to use me, for example, right. or a job description that was set forth, yeah. which is, which also though feels to me a lot like a lot of Japanese companies kind of, you know, a new hire, they bring them in and then they say, okay, tomorrow you're going to be the restaurant manager over there. Or you're yeah. going to do this little, you're going to do this thing. And so. It was definitely in that sense Japanese style yeah. of, of HR. <laughs> well, cheers to that. Cheers, man. Cheers, cheers, Andrew. I'm very grateful that when I first came to Japan mm. that I did work for two Japanese companies. Mm -hmm. It really taught you a lot about how Japanese companies yeah. operate, how yeah. society operates, yeah. you know, the unspoken part of business and all that. It was a really great foundation. Yeah that thankfully has helped me throughout my career. Would you agree? A hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. It's so difficult, I think, for us as foreigners, and especially with low Japanese ability in the beginning, to understand how, how it works. It's not only just about verbal communication. It's mm -hmm. about, you know, being a Japanese person in a Japanese company. There's also a lot of hidden nuances that you yeah. just understand miraculously as a Japanese person, whereas it's, I think, very difficult for a foreigner. Yeah. My earliest uh, career to be in a Japanese company and to work within that environment has, has given me such a huge insight and only helped me throughout the path. Absolutely agree. Fabulous. Absolutely agree. Um, back to hotels. You are the co-founder of Assistint. That's right. A consulting and strategy company with the niche focus on cross-border hospitality industry projects. Correct, correct. Congratulations on the launch of your new business. Thank you so much. First of all, where does the name come from? Assistant, that's right. Originally, my, my partner and I, so we'd always had this feeling, he's gone into sort of uh, hospitality or travel in, in the United States, and we'd always had this idea over the years that we wanted to do a business in Japan, and then as our careers have developed, more and more into travel and hospitality. And we actually established the company in uh, 2006 uh, in the United States. We've been you know beating it around for a long time. I've been busy kind of transitioning from one company to the next. Anyhow, just busy, busy, busy. Uh, and then now was the, the opportunity to actually take advantage of it. It's assistant. So the idea is assist international okay. and then assistant. Yeah. You yeah. are a Japan market entry consulting company for service yeah. and hospitality companies? Exactly, yeah. We, we have keen understanding of hospitality, uh, of Japan. And so we, we, we tend to focus so far into... It's not only market entry, it can be Japanese companies that are also looking to go overseas mm -hmm. or potentially companies that are looking to work with foreign companies. But yeah, in a nutshell, that's it. So, I mean, for example, the types of projects that we do is a big international investment company owns hotels in Japan. Right. We help them asset manage those hotels, for example, or they're looking to buy a property in Japan. And so we'll help them with the initial kind of due diligence stages and getting right. the hotel open up off the ground. Cool. But we're actually on, on other sides of that. 
I'm also doing stuff with uh, tech companies um, that are looking to, you know, focus. They're they're developing new products for Japan market, specifically for hospitality. Uh, and so we're helping them understand what's the best way to localize or adapt their products for them to be able to sold in Japan. Tech companies focused on the hospitality industry. What is that like? Booking agents and things like this. Yeah, there's a lot of tech. I think that's still. I mean, hospitality, hospitality in general. I would have to say is pretty far behind the curve as far as technology is is concerned. And so, I mean, tech companies are, are hospitality companies are only maybe over the last 10, 15 years、uh, talking about tech and how are they going to implement technology into their hotels. Like what, what? Like what time? I mean, they have their CRM. There's a lot. Of, you know, the reservation、yeah. is all automated. What areas could hospitality be more innovative or modern with IT? Well, first one is like revenue management. I mean, this is a big one, which has just never sort of taken off in Japan. I think a lot of companies now, hoteliers, hotel operators, think that they do revenue management, but you know, it's still not really being done properly, in my opinion. So around revenue management,、um, also about you know booking. How does how does a guest book? And how does technology kind of seamlessly take you through your whole experience from contemplating the booking to going to the booking to arriving at the hotel、yep. to checking out? There's no real platform in, in Japan now that does that. Even you talk about like the PMS, so the property management system in a hotel, which is sort of the central hub of, of, of the systems. A lot of times that doesn't even connect with everything. So you have a PMS that's standalone. It may or may not connect、mm-hmm. with the revenue management software,、uh, your CRM database, your、yeah. guest satisfaction information. So you have all of these,、um, you know, kind of fragmented services or, or systems that they're not really usable in a congruent, systematic dashboard.、That's、And、cool. so you have to be able to decipher what all that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you might have revenue management on this side, guest satisfaction on this side, and loyalty programs and whatever else there might be. That has to somebody has to really be sort of a、um, a professional just in reading the inf- information、sure. to actually then take any real use out of it and make action.、Yeah. So, so well, eventually this, yeah. Well, there's a lot of hotels、mm. that want to come into Japan. Uh, with the Olympics, there was a lot of construction and a lot of building of new hotels in the lead up to that. I mean,、mm-hmm. well, Japan's、It's、been、amazing. a very popular destination for many, many years and will continue to be. But there's so many hotels that want to come in here.、Yeah. What about restaurant chains that want to come into Japan? Shake Shack is a good example. Yeah, it's a, a Danny Meyer yep, property. Um, and there's, you know, some conglomerates in the U.S. and Australia that want、mm. to bring their idea of of, of restaurants into Japan.、Uh, are there a lot that are that are searching for opportunities here? Yeah, I don't think it's in the scale of other maybe hospitality because there's a lot of investment right now behind. So you talk about hotel operators that want to be in Japan is one one part part of it, but there's a lot of investors that are willing to spend, you know, the the, the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars that are required to, to、right. build or buy a hotel in Japan. And so I think the scale of it. Is slightly different, so I do think that maybe we just don't hear as much about them. But I do.、Yeah. I think there's interest in coming to Japan.、Yeah. Market entry. It tends to be similar to hotels. You know, it's it's a much more. It has to be. It's not a very proven concept, and I think there's a lot of、yeah. flops as well in the restaurant、yeah. business in general. That's for sure. And so it's a big investment to try and bring an American brand or a European brand into Japan、yeah. on a single, ch- you know, on a one hotel,、uh, sorry, one restaurant level,、yeah. um, with the potential investment probably that's that's needed up front、yeah. and the absolute the reward that's going to come. I out mean, hey,、that. look what happened、yeah. to Hooters. Yeah, reg- I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. And I, that's, that's not <laughs> you the first said, time. Yeah, you almost said regretably, didn't yeah, you? <laughs> yeah, I almost you saw it coming out there. So, and I think regrettably, though, into that meaning as well. But also,、yeah. like that was a normal chain that probably should have got more traction. And I, I don't know. 
why. Yeah. I mean, forget about the concept for a second, but I think they had a right. decent marketing plan. And I don't know. There's a lot of these chains, though, I think that would do it. But there's a substantial amount of investment when you come to Japan, you know, signing a lease and, and, and taking on that long-term uh, rent le- uh, risk and yeah. hiring employees or hiring, you know, legal entities to help you get through that process. And so, I mean, there's a huge amount of investment up front mm-hmm. in a hotel, you know, where an investor is coming from Singapore or from wherever and saying, oh, we're already, we've got $100 million on the table to buy a hotel. All of those costs are factored in and they're much, it's not as big a portion of the, of the total investment yeah. pitch for them. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you proactively approach any hotel chains that aren't currently in Japan because this is your new yeah, business. Yeah. This is what you want to do. One of my favorite destinations mm. is Greece. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In Greece, they have a lot of local hotel chains that mm. really aren't that international. Maybe they, they branch in Italy as well yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe they branch absolutely. out or around the Mediterranean area. But with your knowledge, couldn't you go to some of these country-specific hotel chains and yeah. say, hey, did you ever think about Japan? I'm your guy. Through my network alone, we've, I've, I've, I've started projects. Um, but I think as a next step, it's definitely the next step for our business. The reason I don't think I'm doing it yet is there's still a, I think, a bit of a, um, people are very worried about the current situation right yeah. now, right? And so if you look at the average hotel in, in Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, a lot of these hotels are not doing good right now. I mean, really not no. doing well. And so the appetite for investment in that kind of thing right now, there's a lot of people that are looking. You know, I can say in the last six months, we've had a ton of people that are like, okay, we know Japan as a destination will be positive. It's going to come back. It's just that when is that going to be? That's the winning, you know, the stock market winning question of when do I invest and when do I get in and out? In terms of a long-term investment, Japan is golden. Yeah, and everybody voices that same thing. And actually on the the reciprocal side, the the hotel companies that are looking to sell businesses right now or sell hotels are not offering, you know, huge discounted rates on their properties because they understand that there's, you know, 10 to 15 to maybe 20% discount on their property is already huge knowing that it's going to come back in 12 months, 18 months time. Fantastic. We all know getting a great sleep is important, and this is what Gugu is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Gugu. Better sleep. Better you. I don't know how many of my podcasts you've listened to, but I have this one little segment that I like to do. It's called Free Unsolicited Business Idea. Okay. Okay. And since you just started your company and we both have passions for hospitality, I kind of came up with an idea. Sure. I'm going to throw it it your way. Got it. Got it. You can say, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. So here we go. I like acronyms. You use a four-letter acronym, and you call it W-O-R-C, WORK, okay, with okay. a C. And that stands for Western Omotenashi Resources Consulting. Nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you create a course where you and your team teach Japanese students what Westerners perceive as hospitality and how to create an even greater guest experience. Mm. It continues. Mm. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This course teaches hospitality from the Western perspective to complement their already solid foundation Mm. of service. When they finish this course, you offer them a, air quotes, diploma, Mm -hmm. which satisfies their desire for accreditation. Mm. But most importantly, you create a database 
of talented, bilingual, bicultural hospitality pros. Then you take this asset and it becomes one more service you offer in your Japan market entry consulting arsenal. Basically, it's plug and play hospitality staffing for your new business. Yep. So you get some revenue on the front end through these courses, and then you get some revenue on the back end through the staffing. In fact, you don't even have to charge for the staffing because、mm-hmm. you need licenses and all、sure. that kind of stuff、sure. for it. Or you just add it as part of your package、mm-hmm. consulting mm-hmm. offer to the consultants. You know, it's like, hey, we'll do this, 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 and then the and this, diligence the way, and all、yep. this. Oh, and by the way, we, we have, have people that we can plug in immediately. Yeah. W O R, and you could you could either change the C to a K and use consulting as K, which、yeah. I think some European countries maybe do that. Sure, <laughs> you know, like Mark, you know that some guys spell it with a C, some guys spell it with a K. Maybe, yeah, you get the dark com. So、still. it's the、um, it's the、uh, Western Omotenashi Resources Resources Consulting. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, I don't know. Have you?、Um, wow, that's impressive. Honestly, Andrew, you've really touched on something I didn't think I would talk about today, but I will mention it. Is we're actually we're I'm opening a second business,、um, and it's almost you know some of the points that you've touched in this are almost directly up that line. So let me explain what we're doing. Let me explain、yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. In a nutshell, of the next business that we've literally opened, myself and two other partners, all from the hospitality background. But we're calling it as a, a similar. We're calling it as a、uh, different name than just what we were tender. So it's called Sparker, and it's spelled S. P A R K R Sparker, nice.、Uh, and so it's spark your passion or spark your spark your ambition. Better、um, better than my acronym. No, I mean, hey, it's still good, right? We, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing that you've you've gone down this track because we're probably about six months out from launch. But、um, we did not coordinate at that's all. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, I because it shouldn't be anywhere. I don't think we have that.、Uh, we haven't talked about it too much yet. So, but essentially, what we're doing is it's it's all about the people of the hospitality industry, and essentially, we are. So we're saying we think that there's a lot of problems with the hospitality industry in general.、Uh, so restaurants sorry, and hotels. There's a lot of hosp- problems? problems with problems. The, and, and big, big picture problems、okay. and, and why you know what things that we think you know we're, we're all passionate hospitality people. So for example, the the, the negative perception of hospitality. So meaning it's a hard industry to work in.、Uh, it's long hours. It's it's not a great pay.、Um, so I think there's a lot of perception issues with it. I think there's a lot of transparency issues with hospitality. Yep.、Uh, and this is from a worker's perspective. So from a、uh, person that's participating as a worker in the hospitality industry.、Yep. Um, and then another one that you've mentioned there is training, and that's probably the biggest component of it is that we don't feel that there's any standardized, accredited training for hospitality people. Nice. And and something that you know as as a, a Uh, an industry that that takes this much,、um, you know, that has this many people. There's 80,000 hotels. There's another like 17、uh, million, I think, in hospitality. When you talk talk about all of service industry, it's not a skill. And to not have this type of kind of basic level of of training and accreditation,、yeah. we、uh, you know we think that it will come back. We think the industry will return.、Uh, we know that. That IR, that integrated resorts will come. We know how much, how many people it takes to staff one of these big things,、yep. and we know there's an absolute brain drain of of people, especially now as well,、uh, in the industry of talented individuals that are leaving because they're disenfranchised for one or another reasons.、Right. Whether it's they don't see the career, or they're not making ends meet, or they don't have enough training, or you know motivation to kind of continue their path in this industry. We really believe that this is something that's not being touched in Japan. Yeah, me too. And something that we're going to attempt to, to try、yeah. and support with this new business that we're opening. Yeah, that's yeah. fabulous. It's a little bit cryptic, but <laughs> no, it's cool because I've been to great restaurants before. This is、yeah. a great restaurant,、mm, and sometimes you meet a 
spectacular a, a staff, and you go, wow, yeah. they go above and beyond. And I almost like want to like be their agent. Yep. Or I want to I want to recruit them. I want to yeah. have a database of these yeah. superstars, and then that's my job. Yeah. I just want to recruit and place them with yeah. companies that would really appreciate yep. their talents. Yeah. And um, you know, I always kind of had this sort of like like fantasy idea of doing a business like that. But when I sort of thought about it. You know, the hospitality industry, they don't really pay recruiting, recruiting fees. Well, and, and, and you're absolutely right. This, where we started this discussion with the two other partners is um, we had the idea of let's do a recruiting company for hospitality. Less than 1% of the market is being uh, hired by via rec- recruiting agents. Right. And it's not a model in hospitality where, you know, we're, we're talking um, the cost of these, which is it's quite high in Japan. The yeah. cost to recruit in Japan is not something that a hotel, it's not sustainable for no, a hotel. No, it's not. And moving forward as more hotels but, come but in. But you don't have to charge 30%. No, I agree. Yeah, right? I agree. So typically they just advertise in the newspaper yep. or in the magazines uh, and that costs uh, 100,000 yen or 250,000 yen so why don't you just charge 10% there's yeah. no there's no rule that says yeah, yeah. Uh, placing people with another company you have to charge 20 or 30 yeah, or 35% yeah. which the typical recruiting agencies do Would for do. like for professional uh, right. positions so you just it's hospitality recruiting light you just yeah. charge 10% and yeah. you you make it up in volume well we, you're absolutely right I mean, so that's that's where we're headed. And then on top of that is adding that additional service of we want to actually be the platform where you can get the training, right. where you can get the accredited training, right. where you can have a community around you, you know, where there is more transparency about what my job path might be like sure. if I attempt to be a, a hospital hotelier. But that added value yeah. should be worth I 10% think so. yeah, I think so. or 15% yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That should be worth a little bit extra than just placing an ad, yeah. uh, you well, know, in the media. Well, there's a big gap. I mean, there's a lot of companies, there's job posting boards uh, mm-hmm. that are specifically targeted for hospitality. So right. you have, you know, companies that are, you know, you can go on and post your jobs. Then you also have recruiters, you know, executive recruiters. And then you have sort of these hybrid sites. But a lot of times in hospitality, it's through personal networks. Yes. You know, it's usually the guy that knows the guy that knows there's a position over here. Through that, that network, I'm making that introduction and getting that job or the opportunity to interview. On top of all of those other, you know, big big problems that we see of, in hospitality, I think that's another one. There's no kind of community forum for people to interact with each other, and so we think through that building a community and through providing those added value service that we'll be able to develop hopefully a, a new, you know, passion or motivation for yeah. people to interest be interested in hospitality and. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that we had the same idea and that I actually That's impressive. Came yeah, up with that. right yeah. down the track of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's key here is using the words Western omotenashi. Yeah, because yeah. that would that would perk people's ears yeah. up. They would go, what's wait, the wait a minute, omotenashi is is only a Japanese thing. Yeah, right. But if you said Western omotenashi, people would go, we can claim that. Wait yeah. a minute, what is that? What is that? <laughs> you know, interesting. I like take that. Away okay, there. Western omotenashi. Yeah. Thank you. All right, I'll, yeah. we will take that on board. That's good. Because you're right. You need to pin it back to the fact that this is relevant within their sphere, right? So it's, right. If, they, if you say Western service, then they're like, oh, well, we're not Western people. We're Japanese. So, exactly. So, but this is a multinashi with a Western tweak to it. Then that's very good. That's Love great. it. You got your first taste of the hospitality business working at your grandfather's yeah, Italian that's restaurant when great. you were very young. Correct. What did you learn then? which you still subscribe to today? Oh, that's a great question. You're absolutely right. My grandfather was an Italian immigrant uh, and moved to the United States when Philadelphia area when he was a teenager, mm-hmm. him and his family. And he, uh, he opened up a restaurant just outside of Philadelphia 
called the Dignasio's Townhouse. It started as a bar and serving spaghetti, basically. And then over the 50 years that it was open, it, it basically came this whole, it was a whole block. So it was a restaurant, but a banquet facility with weddings and wow. massive establishment. My summer breaks, I would go out to Philadelphia to spend time with the family, and I'd end up spending time in the restaurants uh-huh. and working in the restaurants. If I take anything from that time that, that I would carry along with me, it was that I walked in there to, I don't know how old I was, 14 or 13, thinking that I was going to just choose my job and pick whatever I wanted to do as I was the grandson of the founder. Right. And the first day he said, we're going to put you here, which was uh, the dish tank, and you're going to work from the dish tank. And I was like, no, no, but I actually I'd like to learn more about bartending, or I'd like to be out front talking with the guests. And he as said, a 14-year-old. As a 14-year-old, yeah. yeah, which is probably illegal at that time yeah. anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't think I got paid, actually, in, in hindsight. But no, so I learned the fact that it was just as, even if you're related to them, you have to figure out the way the business works first mm-hmm. and understand the business from the ground up. So I worked the dish tank for two years, yeah, was, which was amazing go. as a dishwasher. And eventually I made it to, to busboy. And I think my final position in that time of five or six years was I think I got to a, like a banquet server. Nice. I think that was the highest position I made it to. Well, Ishinoue Nimo-san then. That's right. Three that's years right. on the stone. Yeah, three years on the stone, <laughs> which I did. And, uh, you know, it was uh, early mornings, late nights. But you learn the business that way. Yeah. Being in the kitchen, you got to interact with everybody and you saw how everything really worked in the restaurant. You didn't yeah. want to take over your grandfather's business? Yeah, you know, I mean, that was always, by that time, I think that that, that had come an option. I'd gone to university and I'd then gone to Japan. And then my, my grandfather passed away and the family, the, the siblings, so my father and his siblings took it over. And, you know, I was sort of on a track now towards I'd like, I'd like to be in Japan. Didn't look back, and then subsequently they've sold it. I mean, what I miss the most out of that time is I remember our makanai, and, you know, in English is what, our employee meal. Yeah. So we get our employee meal every day. We had, I think, three or four choices, but every single day they had spaghetti and meatballs as one of the options, and I, every single day, ate spaghetti and meatballs. So I'm going to miss that if I ever go back. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you've started up a couple new businesses. You've got a lot of new ideas. Your future is obviously based in Japan. So what is your prediction for the future of Japan? Yeah, I mean, in hospitality, I think it's extremely bright. I think we've got probably another year to get through this, uh, this trenches of, the, and this is everywhere in the world, but in Japan, yeah. I, I do believe that once, um, you know, the Olympics is, is, I do think will happen at some level. And I think once we get past that and the world hopefully returns to some, you know, I don't think it'll ever go back to what it was before, but we'll come into a different place yeah. where Japan will again be seen as a highly, um, you know, uh, requested destination and we'll get tons of foreigners to come back and visit again so from hospitality I think there's a, it's a great a great place yeah. to be you know we've had nine years of extremely good times there's a lull in the market which is a typical cycle uh, yep. go through two or three years we'll come back I think we've got a few more positive years ahead yeah. the reputation of Japan before the pandemic yeah. was fantastic yeah. and also Japan's response yeah. to the pandemic yeah. has also created a lot of great PR so I just think it's going to piggyback great they're both going to piggyback off of each other and the the future for hospitality in Japan I agree is is really really bright all right this is the one question that I ask all my guests what is your favorite Japanese word that doesn't have an exact English translation translation? that's a good one yeah so you can pause, you can think about it. You know, a lot of people come with ikigai or omotenashi or I got know, one. Whatever. I have one. I have okay. one. All right. Eric Dignazio, what is your favorite Japanese word that doesn't have an exact English translation? I would have to go with tekizai tekisho. 
You're going with the Yomujijukugo. Tekizai Tekisho. And there is the translation like hospitality in Omote Nash. There's, there's right person, right place. But I do feel like the Tekizai Tekisho has a much deeper meaning to it All right. than just right person, right place. Uh, explain that in a little bit more detail. Sure, sure, to sure. It. So explain it like you're explaining it to your high school buddy back in the States who doesn't know any Japanese what whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the main thing for me is that there's an intrinsic understanding of Japanese that if you're saying right person, take his take show, they are taking into consideration the other person's, not only their skill set, but it's like a sort of a deeper meaning for me. Mm-hmm. And so you would say that, like, for example, it's not just because that guy knows, you know, figures that we're going to put him in an accountant role. Right. right? I think there's actually a feeling in there that says, we, we know this person's personality. We know this person's, you know, understanding and skill set. Yeah. So we would put him in this way to be successful. Maybe that's the difference. Yeah. So it's not just right person, right place, but it's with the understanding that them being in that position would be successful for sure. them. It's, which has it's a not deeper, just their degree. It's just yeah. not their experience. Yeah. It's just how you envision that they will adapt to that situation and have confidence about it. Yeah, and be and be uh, you know productive and successful in that. And that's really for me it has a deeper meaning and I think a really important meating in Japan because in so many ways, you know, Japanese tend to get filtered around and, and, and you mm-hmm. know push through different um, through different maybe not always their comfort zone or their 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 knowledge base, they get shifted every three years to a different division basically. Right. So having that sort of techizai techisho approach to uh, business, I think, is an extremely important thing to develop for Japanese people and Japanese companies. Tekizai, tekisho. Yeah, absolutely. In, in Japanese, we call that yomoji jukugo, okay. which is like the four kanji or the four-letter idiom, Okay, I guess, okay, yeah. right? You know that one. So what are the kanji? So teki means suitable, right? Suitable, yeah. yeah. So tekizai. Zai, zai, ryo, zai, zai, right? Zai is, is it? No, no, actually, your kanji is probably better than mine. Is. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think we need to look it up, actually. <laughs> Translate tekizai, tekisho. I use this recently now, too. This is amazing. Tekizai, tekisho. So it literally comes out the right person in the right place. The right. kanji, here you go. Here, so it's zai, zai ryo no zai. Teki is, um, so it's the right, it's the right ingredients. Suitable ingredients, suitable location. That's it. <laughs> suitable ingredients. Suitable ingredients. Yeah, suitable you can ingredients. use it for cooking, too. Could be, I guess. You need a little bit more salt on that, Tiggy's I dig show. <laughs> exactly. Sweet. Uh, one question for you. In your experience of doing podcasts over... Um, how, how many in total podcasts have you done now? You will be the Number. 31st wow. or 32nd. Wow, wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. What do you what do you think is the next evolution for yourself in this podcast? I think first of all, it's a great forum. I, I really appreciate the Thanks. fact uh, for for asking me to, to to be a part of it. But I think this would be great to have a big wide audience for this and get uh, yeah. more and more people on this. So, what what do you think is the next step for you for the podcast? Mm. Well, that's that's an interesting question, Eric. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Let's throw one back at you here. Throw one back across the table. Who's interviewing who here? Yeah. No, I mean this is a hobby for yeah. me. I'm a gregarious guy. I like having a few beers. Um, it's a little bit networking. It's a little bit establishing your authority on something, which in my case would be knowledge of mm. Japan. But it's not about me. It's about my guests. Mm. Yeah. What's the future hold for this podcast? I really don't know. But I, I plan to continue doing it. Yeah. And if I can gain some traction on it. I mean, it's not a monetary thing. I have sure. a couple sponsors, sure, sure. but both of the sponsors are my friends. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to start. Good way to start. There I'm just, just doing it to make it sound legit. I think it's a great format. And the reason I ask this is because I think there's probably, you know, it's it's in our, there's so many few foreigners in Japan and having somebody that's willing to take their additional time and go out and speak with people like this and publicize, I think is 
I think it's amazing. Really interesting stuff. Wonderful. So, yeah. Thank you very much for that. Well, Eric, thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time. It's nice to meet you. Pleasure. And it's First amazing. Of many, I'm sure. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> we had so many things in common that Absolutely. we didn't even realize. Absolutely, so, yeah. thanks for your time today. I really appreciate. Really appreciate it. it. All the best. Thank man. you. Thank you. And cheers. 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 And that was Eric Dignazio, co-founder of Assist Int and this soon-to-be-launched Western Omotenashi training and recruiting company, Sparker. You can find Eric on LinkedIn, that's where I found him, or contact him through his website at assistint.com. It's spelled A-S-S-I-S-T-I-N-T dot com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this fun episode, please leave a nice rating or comment on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. Until next time, thanks everybody. Thanks, everybody.